We thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching from Metro Church. We hope this inspiring message will empower and enrich your life. Many of us have grown up with Mickey Mouse. Isn't that true? I remember getting a Mickey Mouse doll. Not a doll, it's a boy thing, right? So it's like this big, but this Mickey Mouse, he would actually, you'd put a cassette tape. Yes, young people, there were tapes, right? You'd put a cassette tape in the back of him, and then he would read, I actually think he would read me the stories. I think my parents didn't want to read to me, so they bought the toy to let the toy read to me. No, I'm just playing, but maybe. Well, I'm a parent now, so I get it. But listen, (laughs) uh, we had this I had this Mickey Mouse, and my brother got a Teddy Ruxpin for anybody that grew up in the 80s. And we grew up, I grew up with Mickey Mouse, you know? And, and, and so many have, and I think we got a picture of that. Check out this picture. And there it is, Mickey Mouse and Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, and yes, the one holding Teddy Ruxpin is teaching Dive In right now in the back. So you can go and... Re- uh, but, but we grew up around Mickey Mouse. And, and, and so as I thought about this, as my family stopped through Disney recently, I was reminded how much Walt Disney has changed pop culture forever. I was thinking about how one life can continue to shape the world around us for years to come. Then I began to think about how God created his church to shape our world into eternity. On this side of eternity, that we would bring heaven to earth, but also so that we could bring earth to heaven. And it's hard to be around Disney and all of the the out-of-the-box thinking that happens without it affecting you creatively. So today I thought I'd present God's Word in a fun and different way through some of the themes that have come out of the house of Mickey. Are you all right with that? Some of you are like, I thought I came to church. Oh, don't worry. The Word will be preached. But I'm going to call it a tale as old as time because it just seems, seems about right. But I have way too many thoughts, way too many points not to dive into this thing. And so um, just hang with me. You're going to get it. But these thoughts, you know, at first I thought, what am I going to name this thing? You know, uh, you know, the gospel brought to you by the mouse? No, no. You know, what about if I had a coffee with Mickey? What would we talk about? I don't know. But either way, a tale as old as time. But I, I'm going to give you just a, a bunch of thoughts towards some of these things, and we're going to dig into some scriptures, okay? And so, if you're taking notes today, give yourself a round of applause. Golf claps are fine. Number one, we were created to achieve dreams. I know that uh, a dream is a wish your heart makes. I know that's, that's one of the things they've been said. I oftentimes think about, well, where do dreams come from, right? I know that God has talked about how he's placed eternity into our hearts, heaven in our hearts, right? So, so when I start to think about dreams, what I've come to realize is that we are created to achieve dreams, not just to dream. How many people have ever been called a dreamer before? Maybe in school you were called the daydreamer, you know? I don't know what kind of dreamer you are, but I've come to realize that God, he wants us to achieve good God-given dreams. Say God-given. We're going to dig into some of these things in a minute. But what I will tell you is this. If God didn't, attend, didn't intend on us achieving dreams, why would he give us dreams? 
Some of you may have been running around in circles. You feel like you're living in that rat race mentality. You feel like, how are we ever going to achieve the things that you believe God has put on your hearts? I want to give you some scriptures that have really encouraged me to continue on the path and the dreams that I believe God has given me. But again, God, he, he's the one that places dreams upon our heart. And we would all agree that there are gifts and talents that God has given each of us to fulfill the dreams he's pressed upon us. So God-given dreams are worth pursuing. See, but just because God spurs us on to chase them, it doesn't mean it's easy, does it? Because if it was easy, then it wouldn't be something you would actually be dreaming about. It'd be something you'd already have done, right? And so as I start to think about how difficult it can be to achieve the things that God has called us to, I'm just going to give you a few of the scriptures that have really helped me, and I hope they help you. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You know what I understand is that if what I'm doing, God has any ability to get involved with, then it allows me to make sure that I'm successful. Right? Here's, here's a thought. When you start to wonder, is this a God-given dream? Is this something God has of me? What benefit is it to God? Because if I can't talk to God about helping me because there's no need for him to help me because there's none of him in it, then maybe that's not a God-given dream. Maybe that's just a selfish pursuit. And maybe it's something that's taking my time and energy and attention away from the thing God has intended me to do. Are you getting this? Another scripture that helps me is Philippians 1.6. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I've got to remind myself that if God knit me together in my womb, my womb, in my mother's womb, that would be really weird. I would probably be a millionaire because I would have unearthed, no. If God knit me together in my mother's womb, then he had a plan and a purpose for me. And if the thing that I am striving after, not in a negative way, but in a way of excellence, if the thing that I am working towards was actually part of the thing God wanted me to do, then he's going to bring it to completion. The fruition is going to come. It's not something that I have to just go, well, God, I'm just, I guess I'm not doing well enough. I guess I, I no, it's, I've got to keep my hand to the plow. I've got to continue to be about my father's business. Does he have any business in your business? These are things we've got to consider. Because God created us to not just dream, but to achieve dreams. Tell your neighbor, this is getting good. Luke 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. Some of you need to get some of this scripture into you to remember that it's not going to be easy, but is, God, is this a benefit to God? Is God in this, that he's going to bring it to completion and nothing's impossible for him? You getting this? And so if you are to succeed in chasing after your God-given dream, when it comes to your past, you need to take advice from Princess Elsa of Arendelle, and you need to, number two, let it go. You need to let go of the things that are holding you back. Half the time we complain that we aren't moving ahead, but it's because we're holding on to the thing that is dragging us down. Well, God, I'm not picking up any steam. Well, you're holding on to a bunch of things that you weren't intended to bring with you where he's called you. You know, I, I oftentimes think, um, <laughs> going on all these movie themes and all these things, if you've ever seen the Willy Wonka, the newer, weirder, creepier one, <laughs> as they're going into the factory, the doors keep getting smaller, and they keep getting smaller. 
and they keep getting smaller. And oftentimes I feel like God bringing you into your future, he makes sure the door's smaller so you can't keep carrying things with you. He keeps making them smaller to make sure you will rely more on him and less on the things you've uh, 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 accrued. The things that you have somehow continued to pick up. We need to understand that we're not carrying any of these things with us to heaven. And so there are many things you just need to let go. Let it go. Let it go. Ecclesiastes 3.6 says, a time, there's a time to search and a time to give up. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. My question is, what should you be throwing away that you're keeping? What in your life should you be throwing away? And I don't mean to make it, it sound so negative. I'm not saying that you're throwing people away, but you can throw habits away. You can decide to separate yourself from people. You can decide to understand that they're not going to make it through the teeny weeny little door. But you can get through the door and turn around and call them to come. It's not that you don't love people. It's not that you don't love what, you know, where you came from. You know, I'm just trying to help you understand that if God's calling you forward, there's some things you must let go. And there's a time for everything. And maybe it's time for you to let it go. So let go of that regret. Let go of that anxiety. Let go of the lies spoken over you or the hurt that was brought upon you. You need to let it go because every time you think back on those things, it reopens the wound that God intended to heal and it keeps you from being the next best version of you. It keeps you from renewing the transformation that God wants because instead of renewing your mind, you're actually just taking a bath in the old bath water. You continue to bathe your mind with all the dirt and all the olds. Some of you are getting this, yes? So let go of that guy, let go of that gal, or that habit, or even that hobbit, if you will. Cast away the things that look to hold you back from what God is calling you to. Don't let it entangle your purpose and thwart your dreams. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, the quicker you can learn to let it go, the quicker you can run after the dreams God has placed in your hearts. So don't let the cold or the old bother you anyway. Some of you are getting this. Some of you are like, what is this Disney? Whatever. When it comes to fulfilling your dreams, remember life is short. Number three, time is not on our side. Time is not on our side. And again, from the house of Mickey, there's this reminder that time is not on our side. Our life is much like a rose that continues to wilt and drop petals. And as we continue to pursue the things God has for us, we can't keep acting like I'll just get to it tomorrow. We can't keep holding on to the things that we should have let go because we are not eternal on this side of heaven. Until we get our eternal bodies, we're very much mortal. What does that mean? It means with every passing day, depending on the age you are, you have a little less energy. You have a a little less strength in the back. You have a little less, wherever you want to go with this. The fact is we have to understand that time is not on our side. So what are we doing with the time that we have? Psalms 144 tells us man or woman 
is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. You know, it's not the kind of stuff you want to meditate while you're sitting on a hammock. You know, you should be enjoying life. But the reality is life continues to pass us by. Life continues to move faster than we're moving. And the Bible talks about how fleeting life is. Look at James 4. It says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Listen, I'll tell you, when, when you... <laughs> I'm not that old. I always say, when you get older, like, but I'm old. My kids tell me I'm old. You tell me I'm not old. I'm somewhere in the middle, right? But the reality is this. When you get a little further in age and you look back and you realize how quick it was to get to where you are, you begin to realize how quick it's going to be to get to where you don't really want to go until you can go to where you really want to go. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to get there now, right? But as you begin to look at how fast time begins to move, as you begin to, I mean, I'm telling you, it felt like forever to graduate high school. Forever. And then you look at it and you do another 12 years after school and you're like, what just happens? And then you look and your kids are over 12 and you go, what just happens? And then you realize how quick life is moving. We've got to capitalize on time because time is not on our side. The opportunity of a lifetime is only available in the lifetime of the opportunity. Every opportunity has an expiration date. There are things that you could have done that now you can't do. There are things, there are going to be opportunities that uh, are afforded to you that if you don't get involved and do them immediately, you may not have that opportunity again. That whole seize the day thing, we need to. We need a lot of coffee to do that too. But look, time isn't on our side. We aren't promised to, uh, tomorrow. So to see your dreams fulfilled when it comes to uh, not having all the time you would like, when it comes to not knowing how it's going to come, number four, to see your dreams fulfilled, excellence matters. Excellence matters. And I have not seen many things on this earth managed as excellently as the mouse's house. When you walk through that place, you feel like they really intend on you being their guest. I don't know how else to say it other than we need to find things in this world that inspire us to be better. We do. Uh, the, mouse, the mouse knows how to get things done. In fact, I know business owners. I've heard of leaders, even churches and pastors who continue to try and extract some of the excellence when it comes to serving people as Disney does. You'd be silly not to. You'd be silly not to look around and see who's doing something at the, the elite level and not try and learn from them. You know how many people pay a lot of money to learn from Terry Everson? You know how many people pay a lot of money to be able to afford themselves this amazing opportunity to learn from somebody who's further on in their career? So why wouldn't we as people who know that time is not on our side not open our eyes to find, find a way to extract? How did they do that? 
I've been reading a book, and most people love Chip Gaines. Most people love the fixer-upper idea. Most people uh, love that stuff. And as I was reading one of his books, he said he was always the kid that would annoy his family because they would be at a carnival, and they'd be trying to have fun, and he'd be talking to the owner of, uh, of the machine, trying to figure out what it cost to run the machine and how much the machine, well, what was the overhead, and, and how did they do that, and what does it take to build this thing? He was always looking to be able to excel even at a young age where he said his sister was just wanting to play the game, he wanted to run the game. There's a difference with people that excel and succeed and those who just play the game. We have to remind ourselves that heaven and hell is not a game, and we got to excel in this life and try and bring as many as we can to heaven. Are you still getting this, church? So believe me, excellence is of God. It is certainly a scriptural principle and something that we must activate if we're to achieve the dreams we hold. Colossians 3.23 uh, says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. How hard are we working? How hard are we trying? When's the last time that we really went to bed at night feeling exhausted because we really gave everything we had that day? Right? Okay, 2 Corinthians 8 says this, But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See, when I'm talking about excellence, when I'm talking about excelling in something, there is an adding to effect. There is an adding to. It's not an okay, I've made it effect. It's not an okay, we're, we're good here effect, as Josh was talking about when we were encouraging uh, in tithes and offering. It's not just a, okay, I've made it here, I figured it out, we're good. There's always an adding to when it comes to excellence. Excellence is growing in every area, not only what comes naturally. So some say it's easy to give of time, so they excel in what they do, but they do not love their neighbor. Others say it's easy to give financially, but don't look to grow in service. Excellence is growing in life, not just one part of life. This is what's important for us as believers because the fact is, look, there's some things you're way better at than I'm ever going to be at because God gifted you in that area. It doesn't mean that I should just throw my hands up and say, well, I'm not going to touch it or try it, right? Because for some of you, you need to learn how to run your finances just because it's not a natural gift. For some of you, you do need to excel and figure out how to make certain areas of your life better. Some of you need to find ways to, to remind yourself the identity God gave you so that you don't fall for all the lies the world tells you. We've got to excel in everything, including our knowledge of the scripture. We, are you getting this? And so there's an adding to effect. Second Peter 1.5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. It's saying the adding to effects. If we're, being, if, if we're excelling in life, then we're adding to what we have. Are you getting this? So remember, God isn't looking for... Let's try that again. God isn't looking for perfection, rather progress. So if we're to achieve our dreams, we must grow in excellence matters. Okay? In every story and in every great pursuit, number five, there's always a villain. There's always... A villain. Simba had Scar, Aladdin had Jafar, and we have Lucifer. Someone's like, wait, he really did think through this. I was excelling. The Bible makes it clear that our adversary, Satan, he hates us. Why? Because he despises all that God loves. 
So you're like, so it's not personal? No, it's very personal because he hates God that much that he hates you just as much. The minute God claims you, the minute God made you, the minute God thought of you, the, the minute he knit you together in your mother's womb, you became public enemy number one to the devil. Why? Not just because he hates you, but he, because he wants to spite God. Are you getting this? Some of you always wondered, like, well, why does he even care? What am I doing? Oh, you're breathing. And as long as there's breath in your lungs, you could still be a threat to him if you just decided to activate faith. Hmm. So be aware there are forces at work against you. We do not live in a neutral state. The scripture says that the devil is the ruler of this world. And in this world, we've got to deal with him. Doesn't mean we have to be under his foot. In fact, we are overcomers. In fact, we're called more than conquerors through Christ. Without Christ, you're not a conqueror. So finish the scripture. Right? But it also says that the devil's prowling like a lion trying to catch you off guard. The devil is even on record for roaming the earth. He's even he's told God that. Look in Job 1.7. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Why do you think he's roaming? Oh, we can find more context in 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Listen, the devil is actively trying to set you back. He's actively trying to decelerate any acceleration you had towards the purpose that God has for your life. If he can just keep you busy, have you ever heard that? God does, uh, the devil doesn't need to make you bad. He just needs to keep you busy. Just needs to make you busy. Why? Because he knows time's not on your side. So if he can just keep you busy in that relationship that goes in cycles and circles, that goes nowhere, and just continues to bring you through the gutter and then back up and then through the gutter and back up, he doesn't care. He'll just keep doing that in your life because it's just keeping you from the goals that God intended and the dreams that he intended on you achieving. And if he can keep you from achieving what God had for you, then in some way he feels as though he won. And in your life, he kind of did. So we have to understand he's prowling. There's always a villain. He's trying to steal your dream. The villain will offer you pleasure in place of your purpose. The villain will offer you pleasure in place of your purpose. You know, there are so many movies that depict this. But there's something about the shiny red apple. Maybe it's because it brings you back to the Garden of Eden. Maybe Disney ripped off the Bible a little bit. I don't know. We also don't know that it was an apple, right? Scripture doesn't tell us. I believe it was a tomato because I don't like tomatoes. <laughs> That's why it's so confused. Is it a fruit? Is it a vegetable? Maybe it was in a tree and then was cast to the earth, just like the serpents. Maybe that explains why it's so bitter. It's Chad's international version. But our villain will always offer a poisonous apple. And look at David chose to neglect his purpose as king of Israel when he chose not to go to war in 2 Samuel. He should have been on a war field. Instead, he was on a rooftop. When he laid his eyes on Bathsheba, choosing to be outside of his purpose, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, he found pleasure that undermined his purpose. 
And inevitably, it cost him much more than he ever could have imagined, including the death of his son. Hello. But the villain will always offer you pleasure to overthrow your purpose. Number six, don't take the apple. Don't do it. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The longer, listen, the longer you gaze upon the apple, the longer you dream about the apple, the longer you hold the apple, the harder it is to put it down again. What am I saying? Oftentimes young people say, well, how far is too far? Hey, in, in relationships, how far is too far? Hey, when it comes to this, how far can I go? Where's the line? And as a good youth pastor would always say, it's not about how close you can get to the line. It's about how far away you can stay from it. It's not about how close I can get to it and still be okay with God. Because look at you may not actively be sinning, but you're actively omitting the things you should be doing by gazing upon the apple. Some of you wish you brought your young people with you today. Parent up. Get them to church. Sorry. 15 years as a youth pastor, it just comes out. Young people don't take the apple. Older people don't fall for the apple again. You think it won't harm you, but it, <laughs> it will fill you with pain and regrets and will drain more petals from that rose, more sand from that hourglass of your life. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's important for you to understand the reason he tells us to put on the whole armor of God is because he knows that the devil is prowling. He knows that the apple is present and that you have to be ready to stand against. Are you still getting this? You're taking up all my time, so I got to go again. Don't fall under the world's sleeping spell. We're talking about apples. Many of you know the story of Snow White. You understand what happens when she eats the apple. What you don't understand is most of the world has eaten the apple and they are sleepwalking. They are walking like zombies. When we take the apple, it poisons us. It lulls us to sleep. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, so let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. Many people have their eyes open, not being smart. They've decided to take a bite, and what they have consumed now consumes them. Matthew 24 says this, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So when we take the apple, it changes our priorities. It makes the things of this world more important than the dreams and call God has on our life. Number eight, don't chase everything shiny. <laughs> like a wealthy woman's neck. Just a sec. Look at the apple is shiny, but everything the world offers is shiny. The devil knows how to offer you the very thing you want. I mean, he even took Jesus to the mountain in the desert and said, look, everything you see, if you would just bow to me, I'll give you it all. You know how many people have bowed to get it all? And know how many Christians go, ooh, ah, at all that they have, yet they've sold their soul for it. They've literally done 
what God condemns, yet we go, <sighs> don't chase everything shiny. Desiring to have all the treasures, treasures of earth can keep us from inheriting the greatest treasure, eternity with God. So when we consume the apple or treasure, it consumes us. We no longer have it. It now has us. I don't have time to read the whole story, but Jesus talks to, to the rich young ruler, and he's asking how he can inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and as Jesus is talking to him about, hey, we follow this law, and he says, I've done all of that. Jesus understood something. He understood that the stuff the rich young ruler had, it actually had him. He understood that the one thing that was really holding this guy back was everything he had, all the shiny stuff. And so when Jesus said, well, then sell everything you have and, and follow me, it was too much for this young rich, young, rich young ruler to handle and deal with. And he walked away. He walked away from Jesus at the thought of losing his shiny. And that's why Jesus said in verse 23 of chapter 19, assuredly, I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Not because he's rich, but because his, the, the, the treasures have consumed him. He can't see up from down or down from up. He is literally, now let me jump to another movie reference. He's so stuck looking at the ring in his precious, he doesn't do anything with his life. Number nine. If you want to be able to excel, if you want to be able to achieve your dream, know what you need to do? You need to stop listening to the mirror on the wall. You need to stop listening to the mirror. Stop listening. Instead of listening to the mirror on the wall, start listening to the Bible in your hands. You are who God says you are, not what the world says. Not the lies the devil whispers in your ear. After all, deception is the devil's native tongue. He can't not lie. It's who he is. It's how he speaks. It says in John 8, you belong to the father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet we find ourselves asking him about who we are. We find ourselves taking what he says, what the world says, the whispers he says in our ear. When we look into the mirror, we begin to believe what he says instead of what God already said. We need to stop looking at the mirror. Ephesians 4, 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. What does that mean? Put it down. Put down that thing. Put down the, the thing that is allowing him to have a foothold in your life. Not today, Satan, right? Number 10, you'll need more than trust in pixie dust. Tinkerbell almost had it right. Faith, trust, and pixie dust. More like faith, trust, and Jesus' blood. You're going to need more than pixie dust. More than wishing, wishing upon a star. You're also going to need some wisdom. And some discernment, as it says in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Don't ask the world for wisdom. Don't ask the world what they think. Seek wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Let him be the one to tell you what's right and wrong. And then you be strong enough to stand when the world doesn't. You'll need a hero in your corner too. 
1 John 4 says this, Let children, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You're going to need more than pixie dust. You're going to need a hero. You'll need the help of the Holy Spirit. Number 11, I'm so out of time. The hero always defeats the villain. The hero always defeats the villain. That's one thing that the house of Mickey never gets wrong. Can I tell you, Jesus already defeated the devil. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's already been done. It's about whether we believe. Look at, first, uh, look at John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The hero has defeated the villain. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is ours if we're in Christ Jesus. We don't need to be waiting or wishing upon a star. We need to accept the sun. And then victory can be ours. And my very, very, very last points. You don't need a genie to become royalty. You don't need a genie to become royalty. What am I meaning by that? Of course, Mr. Aladdin, sir, what will your wishes be? Of course, in those movies, we, we need something more. We need, to, can I tell you this? In our situation, we just need to accept what God has already done for us. John 1 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You don't need a genie to become royalty. You need to accept your rightful place in God's family so that we can be co-heirs with Christ. I don't know if Mickey knows all these things, but I do know this. What God has for you is not a fairy tale. Oftentimes we think of the, the best dream we could ever imagine and somehow it just ends up with a bunch of shiny stuff. And then we see so many people who have all the shiny stuff committing suicide because it wasn't enough. And then we realize that there's actually this black hole there's a vortex. There's this, there's this missing spot. There's something missing in the world's dream. And it's the fact that God gave us the world's not to take our life, but that we would find life in his purpose and that we would save life through the cause of the church. We get to be a part of what God is doing on this earth. We get to. How, how much of an honor is it to be called the son and daughter of the king and to be able to be on the rescue mission that is salvation? There's nothing greater. And I believe that's why you're here today. Maybe you don't even know why you're here today, but I'll tell you, God knows you by name. He knows you by the amount of hair or lack of hair on your head. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I need you to understand this. God knows everything wrong you've ever done, yet he still chose to send his son. He still chose to send his son to the cross so that 
you would live with purpose and live with passion and be able to live with him for eternity. Can I tell you, there's no greater cause than the cause of Christ. There's no greater cause than to lay down your life and pick up your cross. And what does that mean? That doesn't sound very appealing. Actually, what it means is that because he died for us, we choose to live for him. And in everything that we do, in our waking, in our moments of, uh, of interaction, we continue to put God first and we continue to be about his business. Why? Because I'm not just some random person anymore. I'm royalty. I'm a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. Maybe you're a daughter. I'm a son. But listen, God wants a relationship with you. Someone says, well, if he created me, why does he need to ask for a relationship? Because we've separated ourselves by sin. Because we've sinned, we've separated ourselves. But Jesus reconnects us. And we have to accept Jesus so that we can have relationship with God. There's no one else that came to this earth to live the perfect life, to fulfill the Old Testament scripture, and then offer himself as the perfect sacrifice to cover our sin. That's basically an overview of what the whole Bible is about. From beginning to end, it's about Jesus dying for our sins so that we could live for him and live with God for eternity. We hope you have enjoyed this teaching from Metro Church.